Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I want to point out that this is an emergency backup podcast because something terrible happened to the original version of this podcast, and it could never, ever see the light of day. So, in case this is the first time you've listened to our podcast or any emergency backup podcast, me and Ben, or Ben and I, are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet. I'm at autoguide.com, as well as this YouTube channel. And you can find Ben on some really cool websites, including Automobile Magazine. That's, the, that's my favorite one. I bring it up every week because Automobile Magazine is one of the like sweetest magazines that people still read and buy today. Ben, what, who else do you write for? I write for many other human magazines, Sammy. Um, but I guess off the top of my head, I would say Super Street, uh, Haggerty, which has a cool magazine about classic cars, which I am super into if this is your first time listening. And, uh, oh, I guess Driving.ca, Auto Trader, Auto123, all the, all auto, right, all all the right, auto okay. stuff. Jeez, here we go. Auto um, this, auto that. This week, we have some pretty cool cars to talk to you about. Uh, I'm going to tell you all about the brand new McLaren 600LT Spider. Ben, tell me you're stoked to hear about this car. Okay, here's how I feel about the McLaren LT Spider. I know it's absolutely. It's a 600LT Spider. 600LT Spider. See, that's, that's what I was going to say. So mm-hmm. I know nothing about McLaren's naming nomenclature, and I feel like it's, it's a bunch of numbers and then some letters, but I don't know how it all fits together. So. There's a 520 and a 720, or a 570 and a 720, and I assume this one's in the middle. But how? Do, what are those letters? I'm not really into supercars. That's why I don't know this. Sammy is a supercar expert on this podcast. That's why he gets. Uh-oh. You yeah. put so much pressure on me now. Now I can't get anything wrong. That's why he gets to drive them. That's why McLaren calls him up and says, "Hey, Sammy, um, we added some more letters to our supercar. <laughs> numbers like? too, and some numbers." It's a big deal, and um, we'd like you to be a part of it. That's that's verbatim the phone calls that Sammy gets. I gotta really stop downloading all of those apps that allow you to listen to all of my phone calls, all of my incoming phone calls. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested around. in the outgoing because the yeah, outgoing just goes right to my personal line anyway. <laughs> You're the only person I call. What? So okay, when it comes to McLaren, they have three like subcategories. They have the sports series, the super series, and the ultimate series. Those uh, categorize what kind of car you're getting. The ultimate series are these like million dollar, I think the best word for them is hypercar. This is the thing, this is the sort of car you'll see with the Senna name or the P1 name and their upcoming vehicle, the Speedtail. Oh, I think who, drive, be, who drives those cars? Who drives the ultimate cars, Sammy? Like the ultimate journalist. Like you. No, I don't mean journalists. I mean like who's buying them. Like oh, people who have lots of lots of money. I imagine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why not? No, that's totally valid person. That's I also assume that the race car the race car drivers of some kind. Uh, Oh yeah, and then below the ultimate series is the super series. That's where you'll find like like their other like really important car. It's the seven twenty S, and they also have a seven twenty S Spider. Okay. They also have something called the 650S. Well, wait a minute. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they have the they have the 650S. So back it up a little bit and tell me what that means. The 720S is like a 700 horsepower supercar. It's extremely um, lightweight. It's got some really fancy suspension components. And the car that I drove, the 600LT, is in their lowest tier of vehicle. It's called the Sport Series of Vehicle. And the 600LT is... It's like their, I guess it's like their 
top of the line 570S Spider, but with more goodies that are designed to make it uh, better on the track, cooler to drive, and more exclusive. So, so what, what does LT stand for? The LT stands for long tail, and that's the designation that uh, McLaren gives these cars that are more track oriented. And is, that, um, is it because – so I know in racing, long tail usually means extended bodywork for better aero, and is that the case with this McLaren car as well? Yeah, that's that's the case with this car, although I'm not sure how long a car needs to be in order to be clar- – like how much longer it needs to be to be clarified as a long tail or designated as a long tail. I'm it's sure very market- marginally <laughs> – For marketing purposes, I'm sure a millimeter is <laughs> enough to <laughs> qualify for the designation. So it, it is a little bit longer, but it is um, lighter than the 570S Spider. Um, which is very much the 600 LT starting point. And it's also a tiny bit heavier than the normal 600 LT coupe, just about 110 pounds, which is pretty decent considering it's got a power retractable hardtop roof. I think it's a two-piece roof. So it's not that much of a of a difference in weight. You get that drop-top feeling, and you've got a car that's that's oriented on driving really fast on the track. In fact, and, and, you know, most... Sorry, go, go on. No, go on. Most, like, I've driven the 720S, and the 720S has, like, three drive modes. It starts in comfort, and then there's sport, and then there's track. And the you want to know how hardcore the 600LT is? There is no comfort mode. It's just... <laughs> it's just, you open the door, and you are instantly uncomfortable. It's just the threat of performance is so pervasive. <laughs> They were like, we can't mask this one. Yeah, kind of. I have to. I have to admit, this is such a cool car. I really enjoy driving it, and that's kind of impressive because sometimes. Um, because I, I you're mean, such I'll, a hater. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. I think when it comes to some supercars, their performance is so uh, intimidating. These are fast cars. They're expensive cars. They're lightweight cars, and they can be. They can be designed to feel like a track car for the road. And you know what? On the road, you don't deal with uh, – I mean on the track, you don't deal with potholes. You don't deal with um, bad drivers. You don't, be, you don't deal with a bunch of things that make a car that, – that modern cars, road cars have to deal with. And you know, dealing with that kind of stuff in a supercar can be kind of finicky, can be kind of uh, – twi- can make a car kind of twitchy. And I was worried that the 600LT would be like that, and that isn't the case. This is a very good car on both um, road and track. It's obviously better on the track, and that's where I had so much fun with it because another thing about uh, about these supercars is sometimes they, they do something weird in an effort to maintain a sort of brand image or something like that. Yeah. So in, in comparison to, say, the way a Lamborghini does stuff on the track. A Lamborghini is a very large, wide car with a ginormous engine-mounted midship. It is a huge engine. Whether it's a Huracan with their with its um, V10 engine or an Aventador with its V12, those are really large parts of the car, and the vehicle has to adapt to the, the, the extra dynamic of that. So even then, you've got a car that's heavy, and there's a lot of weight in the, in, in the middle of the vehicle as well. The McLaren never feels like you have to accommodate for one specific design decision that uh, McLaren has made. And even if this is a convertible, and it's a a really weird contrasting opinion of a track-oriented drop-top, which are two things that don't usually go well together in in, as far as we've known track-oriented cars. 
Um, this was a fantastic car to drive. Every adjustment that you make on the on the track, the McLaren 600LT could keep up with, and I was really impressed with that. Well, you know, I want to kind of go back to something you said about there not being a, a comfort mode. I really – we've talked about this in the past in the podcast about how annoyed we are when we get in a car, and in order to mm-hmm. access all of its performance, you have to put it in sport mode. Like, yeah, I've, not- I've said I've been – I'm annoyed with, with excessive drive modes. It's yeah, like, so I applaud McLaren for <laughs> – I mean, no one's buying this car. I, okay, some people are buying this car just to cruise around in, but there are other McLarens you can buy if you want to do that, right? So right. Th- ostensibly, the people who are buying this are like, no, you know what? I bought this because I want everything that's happening with this package, and I don't necessarily need that to be attenuated at any point during the driving experience. So, I mean, the different drive modes are actually kind of entertaining. Uh, they do a couple of... Uh, of- Neat things. Let me talk to you about the powertrain in particular. It's a 3.8 liter twin turbo V8 that makes 592 horsepower and 457 pound feet of torque. This is so fast. It does 0 to 62 in 2.9 seconds. It does 124 from a standstill in 8.4 seconds. Oh, that's really great. Okay, a couple (laughs) things. Yeah. I guess that's 200 kilometers an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was just saying, that's a very that's arbitrary why that measure. That, it is a very arbitrary. <laughs> it's an arbitrary. Okay, then. The quarter mile happens in 10.5. Wow, that's that's really impressive. And the top speed with the roof up is 201. And then with the roof down, however, it's 196. Okay, and what, what was your top speed in the car? Uh, on the track? It? On the track, I definitely saw closer to 140. I think I, I got into 140. Um, we, it was a very large track with some, with two ginormous straights. This was Arizona Motorsports Park. And this is by actually, uh, an Air Force base or training facility. And so every time we were weren't sure whether it was an Air Force base or not, like, wh- I don't, I really what, don't what know. What threw it I, into question? <laughs> I don't know what these, I don't know where giant, where air jets, they're not jets, air they're jets. fighters, they're fighter jets. Pardon me, sir. I don't Could really you explain know. where I can find the air jets and the dirigibles? Uh, what do you? How, how do you describe uh, an air jet? Is it with guns and stuff, or is it like uh, cargoes and other You've things? You completely lost me at this point. <laughs> okay, guns and stuff. The unnamed automotive air jet <laughs> podcast. So this is they've got fighter jets going off in the distance, and these <laughs> things went off. Going off. Yeah. They're and they're like practicing whatever formations and landing and takeoff and it's insane to see these things off in the distance. Whenever we weren't on the track, we were we were treated to a really cool impromptu air show by these guys who I think were just showing off because they saw us running around in, Yeah, I mean they're they are professional pilots who are trained to defend their country, but I'm sure they wasted billions of dollars of jet fuel just to show off for the McLaren journalists. Exactly. Sorry and, if that came out bitter. <laughs> and I'm telling you, because of where the track is located, it's a very flat track with lots of space, and we got some serious speed on those straights. I definitely think I saw 140. That's pretty quick. I mean, it's insane. And and to feel confident at that speed, that's an that's another thing that um, that some cars just can't do. I mean, when you do 140 in in some other vehicles that are not like low slung aerodynamic wonders and lightweight aerodynamic wonders it feels a little bit different i i'm sure you've gotten fast on the track i think last year you were telling me getting some pretty intense speed in i think a mercedes amg gt yeah it was probably around 130 140 about the same and do you notice some of these cars like the way they perform at that speed um it, it can can unsettle you 
Although the AMG GT, if it was an R, is a fantastic. Yeah, it was an R. Really well that, that car wasn't unsettling whatsoever, but there are definitely some that are. I mean, I've had a uh, a Camaro 1LE up to about 170 miles an hour. Jeez. And you really start to notice. I mean, it doesn't feel unsafe, but you start to notice just how much the air is moving the front of the car in front of you. I've also had Hellcats up to 160 miles an hour, the, the Challenger Hellcat. And. Uh, it's these are very large vehicles to be right. doing that kind of speed. Everything happens so much more quickly. That's that's really what what uh, you have to be focused on what you're doing. You can't really slack off at those kinds of speeds. So I mean, the McLaren has impressive engineering to make the car feel so much more stable at that kind of speed. It never felt like it was getting bullied by any wind or anything like that. And that's despite the fact that it it weighs it weighs. Like, relatively little. Let me get the actual um, curb weight with some fuel in it. Um, not a dry weight. A lot of people use dry weight, but this will weigh – this weighs 3,095 pounds. Yeah, that's uh, very light. Which I think is pretty light. Um, and the aerodynamics of it is, is really impressive. You'll, you'll notice this really slick um, fixed spoiler on the back, and other McLarens don't have a fixed spoiler while this one does. And you'll notice as well that it has just this wicked design cue of these two exhaust pipes sticking out the top of the rear deck and shooting just over top of that spoiler, and it looks so cool. And every time you check your rearview mirror, you see that heat haze coming out the, the exhaust out of the back of the vehicle. It's so cool, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. If... I had a car where the rear view was blocked by flames at all times. I would be completely okay with that. I don't need <laughs> to see out the back window if all I see out the back window is flames. Yeah, it's not flames, but it's a heat haze. So it's, it is oh, it still... would be flames if I was driving, <laughs> is what I'm saying. There's some things that also need to be said about the performance of this vehicle. It uses specialty Pirelli Trofeo R... Um, tires. I think there's a there's a name for them. Give me a second. Was that the right name for them? I've got to make sure here. Um, and Pirelli, Pirelli P0 Trofeo R t- tires. They're bespoke to the 600 LT, and they're even better than the outgoing long t- tail vehicle, the 675 long tail. Okay. Additionally, this car has really incredible brakes, and McLaren says, I I didn't be- I don't believe it when they tell me it, but when I drove the car, the brakes were really impressive, but this can outbreak the brands like former halo car, the P one, which is insane. And it uses the same brakes as that million dollar Senna hypercar. It's pretty amazing. Just, you know, a company like McLaren will trickle down those technologies instead of jealously guarding them so that they preserve whatever performance was available in the previous car. Yeah, Uh, that's that's or not the previous car, but the previous top tier car that may or may not still be on sale. I mean, not all car companies will do that. So I think that that's that's a, a feather in their cap. Um, there's, there's still some things to be said about, I mean, I love the way the car drives. It was one of the best tools on the track. I've never felt more comfortable at speeds like that than ever before than I have been in this car. It was fantastic. I, I, I was actually getting started about the drive modes. I remember that we were talking about the drive modes and I I wanted to discuss that there's like these really weird things that the drive modes do in this. It starts in normal mode, not comfort mode, normal. Okay. There's sport mode and track mode as well. And when you use the sport mode, when you change gears, there's this it, there's this feature or function called ignition cut. And what happens is the car will cut the ignition and it results in this uh, incredible 
cracking noise every time you change gears. It sounds so badass. And what's the uh, reason for it? Is there is there a reason for it? Is it I so think, you can like no I, cl- like clutch free shifting or what's the deal? I mean, it's no, it just right? sounds freaking great. That's what happens. That's all I know. And it, <laughs> and it just slams into gear. It sounds so good. Um, and then there's a sport. I mean, in the track mode, it doesn't do that. It doesn't have that crack. That same like um, it's like that fuel cut change gear slam into gear instead it has what they call inertia push so i think it kind of like slips the 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 clutch a tiny bit into that gear change and it results in this insane amount of shove this real feeling of shove okay uh, so i want i want this shove feeling is not necessarily something i would want at a high speed like when you say shove does it mean the car feels unsettled it, that's what I was worried about when I first heard this, and was and was using it um, like in this in in a straight line. It does not unsettle the car, and I don't know how McLaren has managed that feat. It's this is impressive. Like this this part of the car is really impressive, and I think they're just they're just boasting their kind of engineering chops right now. Mm. Yeah. One thing I'm really like bummed out about with the 600 LT is the interior. This doesn't have um, a plush interior. It doesn't have a very accommodating interior in very many ways. The seats are not power adjustable. In fact, there's no height adjustment at all with the seats, which will make the car tough to deal with um, depending on, on how tall or how short you are. And I think that's a bit of a problem. They're not the most comfortable seats at all. And um, we had to drive the... I mean, if you're making a, a supercar that's meant to go on the track and the road. I mean, that's what I'm assuming the drop top aspect is. I think comfy seats would probably be a helpful um, part of the, the equation. Now, um, I, I wanted to ask you, in terms of a brand appeal, now, mm-hmm. when you see a car like like the 600LT cruising around, you know it's something special because it looks crazy. I mean, right. it, it looks nothing like a normal street car. But... I mean, the LT in particular looks way different than the normal, um, the, not no- the other mclarens is that what you're getting at no what i'm getting at is do people know it's a mclaren or do they just think you're driving a ferrari or a lamborghini like what's one of my biggest things when it comes to mclaren have they reached the the brand recognition that ferrari and lamborghini have achieved and i don't think they have i think people can immediately tell with the with that wide angry wide angular face of any lamborghini they know that's a lamborghini and when you see a ferrari it also has it has a soundtrack that is almost second to none. People can pick up on that. And even in America, just people can tell what a Ford GT is from a mile away. Maybe it's that blue oval logo. Uh, logo. But well, it also that, looks like a car that's been in produ- that was in production in the 60s, right? I mean, people... That's true. It has a classic callback to it. I don't think you can... I think enthusiasts can point out a, a McLaren from, from far away, but I don't think the layperson will be able to say, especially, you know, they look at that... that um, it has like a a very strange logo, like um, kind of a Nike swoosh. Yeah. McLaren logo. Wow. Way to, way to, I guess, just kind of, uh, never mind. Continue. Do you know what, what is the logo? What I know the what logo? the Nike swoosh looks like. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, but what does the McLaren logo look like to you? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like the swoosh, but I was more going to say um, it, it, it doesn't, I never really thought of it that way. It's, and also, it's more the like that. The it more looks like the Star, like 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 Star oh, Trek. Yeah, that's like a insignia for the Federation of Planets. That's a great one. Perfect. Yeah, it looks like that, and just people don't resonate. It doesn't resonate with people, even though McLaren has been in automotive and Formula One for a long time, and for a long time they had one of the most important cars in production 
history, the F1. That was a seriously impressive car that was put up on every enthusiast's um, bedroom wall at some point. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, I'm sure some enthusiasts had it up there. It was definitely every, an impressive car. One. It was every single one, every single person in the universe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. And, and for it to not have... I don't know. For for people to still be unsure from a distance what that is, I don't know how they how they get... Maybe it's it, this is the practice. You know how you're saying there's so many cars with so many different weird names that you can't keep track of them all? Maybe they just need to get these cars out in the world and people will suddenly start um, um, picking up on them. I mean, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. <laughs> um, okay, so this thing costs $256,000. Uh, it will be only in production for 13 months. So if you want one, get one, because they won't be around much longer. It's incredibly customizable. We found some really interesting differences between some of the test cars that they had, including, like, different fenders. Some were, like carbon fiber fenders and they actually demonstrated that by tapping on them now ben i am not i am not as skilled of an auto journalist as you think i am and i could just drum on these two fenders as much as i could they sounded a little bit different but i don't know if i'm just gonna go drumming on everyone's mclaren's fenders to be like oh yeah this guy sprung for the carbon fiber fenders and this guy didn't um i guess you can always see if they shatter or not i mean that's (laughs) That's like the extreme way to tell if you have carbon fiber. Or just leave it unpainted because that's, you know, that's so 2008. Uh, and, there's, and there's just so much more customizability. In fact, ahead of the Geneva Motor Show, uh, McLaren has shown off one of their MSO. MSO is the McLaren Special Operations, I believe, uh, or Specialty Operations. And they really they done up one of these 600 LTs in a way that looks so good. So I have to say it looks great. I wish it kind of sounded a little bit better, but the way this car is completely executed as one of those is, is fantastic on the track, is unbelievably quick on the road. It is a little bit harsh, but that's the way a track-oriented car will go, but it's not as harsh as some other vehicles um, out there. Naturally, you're probably going to ask me, why did they make a convertible track-oriented car? Well, because they can charge more for it. That's the answer. I have no curiosity there. I will, I also think that it's not... Um, Uncharted territory. I mean, Lamborghini does this with the Performant, the Huracan Performante Spider, uh, a vehicle that is the Performante Coupe is one of the fastest cars that they make, and um, they offer it as a drop top as well. So why not? I mean, and and I think Ferrari does as well with the 488. They have a specialty drop top version of that. So they can they're they're just showing that they can keep up, and I think definitely they can. Well, um, I, I kind of want to shift the conversation away from the world of supercars to the world of super small boxes, if you'll, uh, if you'll come with me for that journey, Sammy. Yeah, of course. I'll come along. Because, <laughs> because uh, last week, I drove something completely different from anything McLaren has ever built, <laughs> and it is the 2020 Kia Soul, which is... Oh. Sorry, what was that reaction? I I love the Soul. I mean, it's one of my favorite compact cars, and it's been that way for a while. And I was eagerly anticipating this new generation model. So I'm I can't wait to hear what you what you're telling because it's all new this year, right? It is all well. It's it, most of it is new. Uh, it it has a new platform, which is a bit longer, but uh, other than that, it's the same width, it's the same height, it's the same little box we've all come to know and love, and. The Soul is interesting because it has outlasted every other tiny box on the market. So the 
The uh, Hot Element's gone, the Nissan Cube is gone, the Cyan XB is gone, and when the Soul came out in 2010, it was right in the middle-slash-tail end of most of those vehicles' um, lifespans. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, Kia did not expect this vehicle to do super well. They just figured, okay, we'll sell 40 or 50,000 of them, and that'll be fine. And then they ended up selling like 150,000 of them a year for a (laughs) long time. Little did they know. Yeah, sales have dropped a little bit, but they're still over 100,000, and... uh, that's really impressive for a car that had such modest expectations. And in fact, I think at times the, the Soul has been the best-selling Kia in their lineup. And it, it, it's it, – when I – I got to – I gotta, we, no, we got to talk about this for a second. You know, I think over 2 million of these have been sold over the lifespan of the vehicle. And who would have thought, especially Kia, that when they were going to compete in a world where Nissan with their Cube and Honda with the Element and Toyota with the XB, the Scion XB, they're already there. These are automakers that have established brands and, and, and expertise in cars like this. And, the, and Kia came out on top? I think that's so cool. Not only were they established brands, but they were established brands in that segment doing, like, baby business. Like, no yeah. one was buying any of those cars. That's why they all died, for the most part. I mean, Scion it got killed because Scion's no longer with us, right? But the element, um, it had, a, it had a, a, a core group of buyers that really liked it. But it it wasn't like it was selling. It never any- saw a second generation. No, it 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 also never cleared more than sixty seven thousand units in a year, and that was like the second year it came out. So by the time it it died, it was around the ten thousand unit mark, which is right around when the Soul started selling insane numbers. So Kia really hit the formula right, and for me, the formula for the Soul is simple. It, it's boxy, but it looks good. It's got. Right. It took all the elements of like the first generation XB. It kind of has that front end that juts out a little bit, so it, it makes it look not, not necessarily like a shoe, but more like a step kind of thing. But it didn't just stay square. Like it has enough going on in the sheet metal along the sides to keep it interesting. Ben, and- how, ben, it's a boxy car. How much time do you have to spend talking about the design of the of the Soul? Because I think it did the right <laughs> things with the box that other companies didn't do. I think this. I That's think true. the cube was weird with its weird back window that no one understood. And I think the the, asymm- el- the asymmetry to it. The element, since it never got a second generation, it kind of looked a little bit like a Lego car in yeah. some ways. It, it and and the Soul never had that the soul was a styling home run and it managed to combine all of the space uh inside the car that you would want i mean you take advantage of that rectilinear form factor and you get great cargo space great room for passengers and uh, it was cheap it was cheap to buy and cheap to operate so all of that with good reliability and all of that together people were like you know what maybe instead of a hatchback i'm gonna buy whatever this is which you know shockingly it's also a hatchback it just happens to look different um, right and, I mean, and it's Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, okay. <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, it was a very good combination of affordability, um, spaciousness. It had very good style for a, a car that looked really like in a, in a segment that didn't always prioritize styling and, and a body form factor that isn't always the most attractive. And it, if I remember correctly, the last generation Kia Soul uh, had so many features and the only problem I had with it was you couldn't get the good turbocharged engine with all of the features. That's well, my that was my biggest hang up on the Soul. I don't remember how that worked, but uh, in terms of <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't have your amazing memory for ordering the process. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it's uh, flash forward to today, and the formula is still fairly similar. I mean, mm-hmm. in the sense that this is a car that combines all of the things you just said, but it does them better. Uh, I think it looks better. Some people they're, they're like, "Oh, it's got a giant grill on it now, looks like every other car in the world." And yes, it does have a giant grill, but it, it's shrunk down the headlights in the front, so it used to be bug eyed, and now it's kind of gun slit. And I think that really balances out the grill. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside, there's a little bit more front end pa- front passenger room for for your legs mm-hmm. in the rear seat there's somehow a little bit less even though it has a longer wheelbase by like 1.2 inches but you do get uh four or five more cubic feet of cargo space nice so okay that's a they nice balance be, they must be trying to see i imagine maybe more people are using this car as sort of utilitarian compact car like um borderline cargo truck cargo hauling no i think it's a family vehicle I, you I think really it's more think... of a family it, it does well with families rather yeah than i think so and it, it also the cargo thing. space uh is complemented by a larger opening at the hatch oh nice uh, and it's lower too so you don't have to reach over it quite as much as you did in years years past um the when i say that so it's a new platform all of that's new styling's new the interior's nice uh you can get a 10.25 i guess 10 and a quarter inch infotainment system which works fairly well the the most of the models come with a seven inch one that's perfectly serviceable um it's comfortable to drive there's, like I said, space is good for passengers, even though there's a little less in the rear. But uh, the, the the stuff that's not quite as new, so last year you could get a 1.6 liter base motor for the engine, a four-cylinder. You could get a two liter that was an upgrade, and you could get the 1.6 liter turbo. So this year, those first two engines are gone completely. There's still a two liter, which is now the base engine, but it's not the same engine that we had the year before. It's actually less powerful. It kind of splits the difference between the 1.6 and the two liter. So I think it's around 137 horsepower. Let me just double check here. Okay. Um, yeah, it's 100, sorry, 147 horsepower and 132 pound feet of torque. Okay. Which is which is fine. It comes to the you can get a six speed manual if you want. Uh, only on the base model, as far as I know, the LX. But everything else comes with a CVT for that engine, a continuously variable automatic. They have tried their best to make it not be buzzy. Um, it's They built some steps into the car. into Sorry, into the transmission. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Like the, side steps? <laughs> well, no. like it, It's, it's supposed understand. to mimic an automatic transmission, like a traditional automatic. And they figured they, they got a lot of feedback about the original transmission. They said, you know, we kind of it kind of sucks when I when I'm at a stoplight and I peg the throttle, it just kind of revs really quickly and then stays there. And that's that's not the greatest experience when you're driving. Mm. So this car kind of like moves you through virtual. They're not virtual gears because there's no paddle shifters or anything, but it feels like they're virtual gears. Uh, it's it's somewhat quieter than it was in the past. It's still a CVT and it's still a you know an entry level engine. Uh, for my money, I, I really like the turbo a lot more. Right. That's a great turbocharged engine. It's found throughout so many Kia and Hyundai products. Yeah, t- 200 more horsepower. Yeah. yeah, 195 pound-feet of torque. This comes with a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, which is perfect, perfectly matched with it. Um, it's much quicker, and it's much quieter, which I was surprised by. And mm. It's just a calmer driving experience. And But here's the thing. So so far, if you're looking at pricing, I mean, the Soul starts around eighteen grand, like seventeen five for the manual transmission. And if you want the automatic, I think it's eighteen nine. But if you want to get the uh, turbo, from based on what I'm looking at here, you need to get the GT line, which is a one that has the one point six. It's twenty seven four ninety, and mm. 
it's it's kind of weird because a, a, a GT much. line a GT line which is a new tra- it's a new sporty looking model for them. Uh, it doesn't have any sport. It's, the suspension's the same, etc. But it does it does look pretty good. Mm-hmm. With the two liter, it's twenty grand. So you're paying seven grand holy more holy. for the turbo. I mean, I'm sure you get other equipment too. But that's a pretty big difference. This is a ten thousand dollar gap between the cheapest and the most expensive sole. Yeah, for fifty ish horsepower, fifty three horsepower or so. Well, it's it's not just that you're getting a very different driving experience. I wouldn't just right. look at the horsepower. You mentioned the uh, this GT line, and that means I'm, I'm assuming that means the weird trim levels of uh, of the last sole are gone. I think you get it with like what was it called an Exclaim. And yeah, there's like an exclamation uh, mark, and it was a little weird. Uh, now they're all very normal LX, S, GT line, X line, which is kind of like a fake off-road version, which is like body cladding, like Pontiac style. Oh, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a photo of it, and I really don't like the way this thing looks. It's got all this body cladding around the, the wheel arches and in the front, uh, around the front grille. It really accentuates the, I don't know, it looks, it does not look great. I would say that the GT line is far more... Um, sexier. Yeah, the GT line is sexier. I mean, the X line is it, it's fine. I don't dislike it, but uh, I don't know if they're kind of like looking for people who maybe would have bought an Outback Sport in the past, <laughs> mm. but uh, for whatever reason they don't want all wheel drive anymore. So they're gonna buy <laughs> they're gonna buy a Soul. That's the other thing is they were pretty adamant about the fact that the Soul's not an SUV uh, and that there's no all wheel drive coming. And I can understand that. I mean, it's going to keep price and weight down, and uh, it's going to keep fuel mileage reasonable. Uh, not, it's, it's like thirty miles per gallon with the CVT and twenty nine miles per gallon. These are both combined numbers with the turbo. That's not great. I mean, you're probably five miles yeah. per gallon below something like the Honda Fit. Yeah, which is somewhat smaller, but the same level of practicality. It's just huge inside. Um, but I, I really like the Soul. I think it's a it's a vehicle I recommend a lot to people, to be honest. Um, really? And do, they, do you think anyone follows you up on that? Because No, no one pres- takes my opinion seriously whatsoever. I, we're Gosh. just shouting into the void. I Not mean, what I meant. Eventually we turn to ash and the universe forgets us. But um, the the Soul is – if you're shopping for like a Honda Civic, I mean look at the Soul. It's, uh, I've I've always found that to be the case. Is, is somebody would be like, I want a Civic with more space, and I don't want an SUV. And I'm like, why don't you take a look at the Soul? And that yeah, blows well, I mean, now mind. there's the Civic hatch, right? But I mean, still, there wasn't for a while, and it was uh, the Soul. I think the Soul is still a good alternative because that the Civic hatch is fine, but the Soul, I think, is just a different kind of experience. Um, I think. I don't think I have any more questions about right. the Soul. Well, there's one um, more. There's one more. Uh, I think there was one more car that you wanted to talk about this week. Yeah, I drove a car that um, has been updated in years past, and I got uh, a good week in it. This is the uh, 2019 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon, and I had the four door with the six cylinder engine. Okay. What do you think of that? Well, I think that that a couple of weeks ago, I drove a very similar vehicle. I drove the the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon two door. Yeah, you had the two door, but I also had the Turbo Four. Oh, what? Which is optional for the first time uh, for the Jeep, uh, and I really, really liked it. I first of all, I didn't know that you got the four cylinder. This is uh, a surprise to me right here on the podcast. I feel like you've uh, you've you've surprised me on the podcast, which is not something that happens very often. Um, I knew that you had the two-door. I love this car as well. There's so much wrong with it. 
but there's so much that I love about it. Does that well, make sense? Well, start with what's wrong with it. What do you mean by wrong with it? Okay, for for starters, it's um, it's huge. It's very very big. It's very interesting to drive, um, and you have to uh, you have to when you're on the highway, it gets bullied by the wind. It makes a lot of noise. Um, if you hit a pothole or anything like that, you feel it through the whole car. It's a very interesting driving experience that's not at all as refined as other cars on the road. No, I mean it, it's so everything you just said. You can double that for the two-door car <laughs> because – and I'm not it, – it, it's because it's so much shorter. The wheelbase is so much shorter that when you're on the highway, it's just the stability is far less compared to the four-door version of the car. You're up on these 33-inch rims – sorry, 33-inch off-road tires. Can you imagine the rims were 33 inches? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're super they're super knobby and you're just the, – the car goes wherever it wants to go. Like the steering is not at all – um, what you would call uh, predictable, connected. Yeah. connected, yeah. And when you go around quick corners quickly, like a tight corner quickly, the whole because you have these solid front axles, front and rear, mm. the whole car just like lifts up in the air and shatters and like bumps around and like you can feel the rear end bouncing as you go around the corner. It's it's such a uniquely Jeep experience, um, and yet it's by far the best version of the Jeep they the, the Wrangler they've ever made. Like it's right, it feels very modern and yet at the same time deeply flawed. <laughs> they've made an increment uh, an incremental progress over the last generation. It was called the JK um, Wrangler, and uh, it it does feel more modern. And there's so much technology in the car as well. You can get it with a two, like a force and the turbo, like you said. You can get it with auto, uh, engine start stop and heel descent control. There's electronic sway bar disconnect and locking and and locking differentials, electronic locking differentials, which is so cool. And then that's what makes a Jeep a Jeep, just how capable and rugged and off-road they are. And I was really impressed with that with that feeling as well. What what just hits me right in the feels is the way that this car is on the road and other Jeep Wrangler from all generation like owners from all generations will see you, will notice you, will give you a wave or a head nod. And it's um, it's like you've joined this club who loves you just for the car that you've chosen. It's so true. I mean, if you ever wanted to buy external validation, then a Jeep Wrangler <laughs> is a great way to do that. Um, the it, It's it, so much recognition from people just wanted to come up and like talk to me about the, the Jeep. I had people, I was parked at a breakfast place, and these guys had parked in front of me just so they could come and, and, and ask me questions about the new Wrangler. Um, but I wanted to point out that that four-cylinder engine is excellent. It's 270 horsepower, which is I think 30 less than the uh, than the V6, and it comes I- exclusively with the eight-speed automatic. But it has a 48 val a 48 volt um, mild hybrid system, and it it kind of it doesn't necessarily it's it's kind of weird. They say that it, it helps the car feel stronger off the line like it reduces lag in some ways Mm -hmm. um and and i don't know if that's necessarily the case what i can tell you is i never felt like i needed more more motor with the vehicle and unless you want to shift yourself which is only possible with the v6 i highly recommend the four cylinder as an option i mean it was it was really great and i loved hearing like i I had the top down the whole time i was driving i was in in l.a (laughs) Um, the top just flips back, even the second row seats, which are surprisingly roomy. Um, they, in the two door. In the two door. Cool. They, uh, the, the, the top is open over them too. I folded the windshield down so I could feel the wind in my face like a maniac. Um, it was just, it, it was just a blast. But, um, 
there were a couple things about it. I mean, we've already talked about how how rugged it drives in in normal driving. I don't think the Rubicon is a vehicle you should buy unless you're going to go off road. I don't think the sacrifices you make on the road in terms of comfort and handling and whatnot are worth it. I would love a Wrangler look. Oh, sorry, a, a Rubicon look version of the Wrangler, like a poser version of the Wrangler that, that gave me all of that styling and, like, it looked like I was really hardcore, but I totally wasn't. I mean, uh, how's that going to work? If you get a, a, a vehicle, a Wrangler that looks like a Rubicon, you're getting those 30-inch wheels. No, but I don't, <laughs> I don't need, like, everything to lock underneath and I don't need all that uh, crazy stuff. You know what I mean? What I right. would like is some instruction as to how to open the cargo area in the back because <laughs> while I can open the, the – so in the soft top like you you pull open the hatch and you get this like mail slot sized opening for your cargo and there's like a the rear window um i have no idea how to lift that or how to open it or anything and i've That's never the soft top though yeah the soft top so okay. i know you've had the same problem sammy i've had the same problem with the four door soft top i cannot figure out how to open the new jeep soft top <laughs> the, from the, the back <laughs> you try to like squeeze everything in underneath through this tiny little slot and it's it's sad and embarrassing, and I'm a so-called professional, and I can't figure out how to do it. I mean, I was able to put the windshield down, which required a screwdriver, <laughs> yet I could not open the back of the cargo area properly. I had the hard top, and it's easier to just lift that up, and it works um, normally. But with the soft top, you're right. I have no idea what to do with this, and you end up just pushing everything through this um, this little slot here. It's completely um, impractical in that way. And the the other the other sorry uh, the the power differential between the V6 and the Four cylinder is actually only fifteen horsepower. Yeah, it's it's almost nothing, right? But, like, but but uh, the, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about in terms of the things I don't like about the Jeep. A Wrangler Rubicon two door starts at forty grand, and the one uh, I drove was fifty thousand dollars. It's very expensive. The, these Rubicon models of the car are are hardcore, and they're obviously they're making a ton of money on the people who buy uh, off the people who buy these things because the regular Wrangler you can get for I think well under thirty, at least probably twenty seven or something like that. I think it's around twenty eight, twenty nine. Like once you get the features you'd want. So it's a that's a, it's almost twice the price, right? Like yeah, that's insane. But it, it's very good at what it does. I mean, I didn't go off road, but I have gone off road in this vehicle in the past, and it's extremely capable. I mean, if you're going to buy it and do that with it, it's very hard to argue against it. But as a commuter, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense at that price. I don't now, think. I, I wanted to tell you uh, a little bit of uh, some experience that I had with the Wrangler in the snow that we had. It's very important to point out that the Ko2, the the BF Goodrich Ko2. Um, Tires, all-terrain tires, are not snow tires. They're not winter tires. They don't. Um, they don't have the same grip in snow that winter tires have. Just because you have a an off-roading vehicle does not mean it's going to um, not get stuck. And I saw this happening. We were doing a video with it. My um, my colleague had parked the car on some ice and trying to get it in reverse. Watching the two the the rear wheels on a Wrangler start spinning is kind of funny to watch to be honest and i had to show him how to put the car into the four high or four low setting to get it out of um that situation i mean so, i mean the, the the answer to that scenario is just be prepared exactly <laughs> like, uh, and to, you're and to not just assume that it's a tank that can do anything it's it it is very capable but you have to be well prepared for it yeah definitely um well you know um sammy do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about the wrangler I loved it. Even though it wasn't the perfect vehicle, I really enjoyed driving it. It's. I really wish it had a, a sidestep for me to get in, but I know that ruins its off-road ability because I found it a tough time getting in, and I was always worried about splitting my pants every time I jumped in. Yeah, Is but that... I mean, we could do an entire podcast about you splitting your pants. 
I don't want to do that podcast. I know you keep wanting to do that podcast. Maybe you'll for give, April Maybe for April Fool's. You'll give in to me one day, Sammy. <laughs> the pants will split for no. everybody. No. Um, no, that's it. What about you? Anything else? No, I think I'm good. Um, I think that covers everything I wanted to say about the Wrangler. Again, I feel kind of the same way about you. I mean, I don't need a car to be perfect for me to like it, as is evidenced by my love for the Alpha 4C and for the Jeep I'm probably buying tomorrow. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, oh, we'll Jesus. talk we'll talk about that if it actually happens. But in terms of what is actually going to happen, um Sammy, what are you what are you driving next week that, that we're going to talk about? Well, I have two very exclusive cars to talk about next week. Another McLaren. This is the 720S. Oh my goodness. Why would you change this to the unnamed McLaren podcast? Because that... we only have two McLarens a year. That's all we do. <laughs> uh, and I also got to drive uh, a Mercedes-Benz G550. Uh, they've recently updated it as well, and um, I want to talk about what it's like to drive one of the most exclusive and expensive cars in the Mercedes lineup. Uh, next week for me, uh, I've got a couple of cars that have been piling up that I want to talk about, and one of them is the Acura RDX, which I took on a very, very long road trip to do some ice racing, mm-hmm. and um, I, we didn't talk what? about the Can ice. We talk race. about the ice racing. Too? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's going to be that's that's also what I want to talk about. I participated in something called the Lexus Sport Cup, which is essentially a spec series for Lexus IS 300s that's run entirely on studded tires on an ice track, and that was a blast um i had a lot of fun i brought my father along and nothing bad happened so (laughs) that's always a plus when you're when you're door-to-door on ice with studs and uh yeah i think that will be that'll be fun to talk about next week wicked and if you have been enjoying today's uh, emergency backup podcast please subscribe to our podcast you can do that very easily by going to our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and there's a bunch of links at the top of the website that will allow you to subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast client in fact if you don't even want to use your browser you can probably go to your podcast client search us it's unnamed automotive podcast yeah we're on the, the spotify and the itunes and the google play and the everything else but I do encourage you to go to the website because you can see photos and links to our articles if you wanted to get a more thorough understanding of what we've been talking about. Um, and it just makes us feel good when you when you check out all of our other stories, right? It's so good. But you can also get in touch with us. We have a contact form over there. Um, and when you do that, you send a – we get a notification. We really appreciate – all of the feedback that you guys have been sending us and we promise that we're going to do more of those um star car face-offs but alongside the current uh, episodes that we have now so keep in keep your eyes peeled or your ears tuned for that to happen maybe in the next month or so and uh, if, if, if you want to get a hold of us on social media you can uh do that on twitter if you're one of those people who likes twitter like sammy does um, i love twitter it's at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing uh, mm-hmm. even though most people on twitter are crying because someone's just been meaner than anyone else has ever been mean to them in their entire lives i'm on a happier version of social media called instagram where people just post photos and encourage each other and build a community based on trust and mutual respect you can find me at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And I just want to slide something in here at the end. The what? reason why this is a, um emergency backup podcast is because <laughs> we had recorded an entire episode. And in that episode, we talked about the Subaru AI that Sammy is oh, uh, yeah. with, the one that just watches you while you drive and then reports things back to Big Brother and then comes into your dreams at night and reprograms your wants and desires. Apparently, we said some things we weren't supposed to say about the Subaru AI, and it came into my computer, 
Um, it set its spirit upon my my laptop, and it deleted absolutely everything from that podcast, except it left a file called haha.mp3. Yeah, I, I opened that up. I made the mistake of opening that up, and it was just this robotic voice laughing at me on a oh. loop for forty five minutes. Coincidentally, the same length as our podcast. <laughs> so, lesson learned: the robotic resistance is going to have to start a little earlier than we planned. <laughs> well, I'm going to get ready for it right now, but next week we can talk again. So, thank you for listening, and bye. Bye, bye, everybody. <laughs>